Hello and welcome to Flattress. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Bombshell by Sarah McLean. So this is a recent release that just came out in August of 2021 and is the first in her new series, The Hell Bell Series. And full disclosure, we did receive a complimentary copy from NetGalley. Should we just dive right into the jacket line? Um, before we do that. Okay. Can you remind me who Cecily is? Okay. Good question. So you may remember, Sarah McLean's last series just ended, and it was about these three bastard sons of a duke. Before that series was the Scandal and Scoundrel series, which featured uh, a group of five sisters called the Soiled S's, whose father had been elevated to the aristocracy and um, who were considered to be extremely lower class, but moved about the ton. They were called the Soiled S's because all of them had names that started with S. So it was Sophie, Serafina, Cecily, and two others I don't remember because they didn't get a book about them. And um, so there were three books in that series. And in the third book, The Day of the Duchess, Cecily met Caleb. They had an instant attraction, but then nothing happened. And then a whole new series came. And I, I remember at the time being like, okay, where's Cecily's book? Because I want to hear about Cecily. And right. this and is Cecily's book. Cecily met Caleb because he co-owned her sister's pub. Correct. So they were flirting up in the bar. Okay. Now let's get into the jacket. After years of living as London's brightest scandal, Lady Cecily Talbot has embraced the reputation and the freedom that comes with the title. No one looks twice when she lures a gentleman into the dark gardens beyond a Mayfair ballroom, and no one realizes those trysts are not what they seem. No one, that is, but Caleb Calhoun who has spent years trying not to notice his best friend's beautiful, brash, brilliant sister. If you ask him, he's been a saint about it, considering the way she looks at him, and the way she talks to him, and the way she felt in his arms during their one ill-advised kiss. Except someone has to keep Cecily from tumbling into trouble during her dangerous late-night escapades, and maybe close proximity is exactly what Caleb needs to get this infuriating, outrageous woman out of his system. But now Caleb is the one in trouble, because he's fast realizing that Cecily isn't for forgetting. She's forever, and forever isn't something he can risk. I, I honestly, I find this jacket very bland. Yeah. And very generic. It's very generic. It doesn't mention the Hell's Bells series conceit. Mm-hmm. And the one ill-advised kiss happens in the book. I mean, there's the ill-advised kiss here. Did they kiss previously? No, because the whole point when she kisses him in the first chapter, minor yeah. spoiler, is I oh, if I ever kissed you, I wanted it to be in different circumstances. Right, right. You're right. Yeah, this is a very bland jacket. It doesn't get at the most exciting part of this book, which is that she's part of, like, a vigilante gang. Yeah. No, it's so true. 
And I she's mean, like, yeah. part of like this feminist underworld. Yes. And it only it doesn't really talk about Caleb's conflict or history at all. Like this is just romance novel cut and paste. You're totally right. That's that's what I'm saying. And I'm like, for people like us who have read like everything that Sarah McLean has ever written and know who Cecily and Caleb are, this is. I was like, oh, okay. So basically, if you've read it, you're like, okay, it's Cecily and Caleb. And if you haven't, you're like, okay, this is a romance novel. Yep. So as usual, we generated a random number and wrote our own summaries. And this week, the random number is 45. Meg, what was your 45-word summary? Cecily has been pining for Caleb since she first met him. And we devoted readers all know he's been doing the same thing. It takes a bar brawl, a rainy walk on the moors, some spying, and a jailbreak for him to see the light. That's a better summary than the jacket. Well, thank you. I appreciate like, that. A little more spoilery, but not in a way that I feel like ruins the book at all. I I try. I don't think it's too spoilery. Honestly. I don't either. But it, it actually looks forward and sort of talks about what's unique about this book. Right. How was yours? Right. Cecily was never going to fade quietly into spinsterhood, so it makes sense that she'd join a troop of vigilante women getting revenge. Thank goodness her investigations lead her to finding out secrets of his past that he'd never tell her for himself like an adult. <laughs> I, I love your summary so much because, number one, it talks about the vigilante group, which is missing from the official jacket and also from mine, to be fair. But it also talks about my one of my biggest pet peeves, and I'm a little frustrated with him. Yeah. I thought the tone of this book was so light and fun. Yeah. Namely because of the Hell's Bells. Yeah. That the fact that it ratcheted up the we're not communicating to 50,000 really frustrated me. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Tropes, Lane? Um... The, I, the central conceit of this one is a little hard to identify, like, mm -hmm. trope-wise. Because I think this one, if I had to come up with a trope, it's the couple that was set up in a previous book. Yeah. It's the couple Which that isn't really a trope, book. but I feel like because you, you're kind of banking on the readers having a sense of who these characters are, mm -hmm. you're, you have to do less to set up the, okay, why are they in conflict? Yes. Then the other thing, the other reason there is some kind of, there's a forbidden love, but it's not a forbidden love because of social things. It's a forbidden love because he's decided it's forbidden. And she's been in love with him apparently and told him so, but we never saw that in the text. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. No. So it's a little bit hard to like peg it on the, this was the relationship that didn't happen type thing. Right. Because they never had a relationship. And yeah. we only find out that she's attempted to start one, like, midway through this book. She, I mean, it is treated that he's the one who got away. Yeah, but I don't feel like that's, that's the way it's treated, but I don't feel like that's what was developed. I, I, I totally agree with you. I agree with you. 
There's a lot of pining, but again, this so is like much pining. It, but it was like pining again that was set up in a previous books because also they appeared in the last series too. Oh, what is the name of that series? Bare knuckle bastards. Yes, thank you. The bare knuckle bastards. I could not remember it. They, she, both Cecily and Caleb appear in the bare knuckle bastards series because they go to the bar, right? And they're both in the bar all the time. Mm-hmm. Him because he owns it, and her because he is. She's trying to get his attention. Basically, yeah. So, I I feel like if you have if you have read the book since Scandal and Scoundrel, I mean, we have been waiting for this book. Yeah. You know, we readers have been. I know that in previous podcasts, I was like, "Why didn't Cecily get a book? When's Cecily getting her book?" And I'm like, oh, "Okay, great. Cecily gets her book now." So. Yeah, so this book also has a secret past servant crime. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're right, it is a trope, isn't it? And I'm specifically calling it out a trope because of Georgina's book. Georgina's oh book, sorry. Gosh, so funny. Yeah, uh, he is anything for my sister to a new extreme, potentially. Yes. Yes. Yes, indeed. And she is the black sheep of a family of black sheep. Yep. Which. And. Yeah. And she's the incomparable who never settled down. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's got, I think we already talked about this, but he's got a secret reason that he just can't fall in love. This was mentioned in the official book jacket. So it's not, you know, I feel like it is. But it's so vague that you're like, okay. It happens in so many romance novels. Yeah. And it usually involves the person thinking that they're being hunted or in danger or, like, going to be killed or something. Yeah. Or I'm not good enough for you. Or there are things in my past that I can't disclose to you. Or a lot. I mean, there are a lot of different reasons. but Well, and I think the disclaimer also needs to be that, like, Cecily and Caleb have existed in our minds for years at this point. So there was, I looked it up. So since 2017, I've been waiting for Cecily and Caleb to get together. So there were also like high expectations for this book in particular. Like finally Cecily is getting her story. Yes. So I personally wanted a little bit more of a love story I feel like I've said this about a few books recently, not just Sarah McLean, but like uh, in general books, like we get these characters who are already in love. Like, let's be clear, Cecily, from the beginning of this book, she knows she's in love with Caleb. Yep. And Caleb, at least in his own head, is pretty clear that she's the one for him. Yep. But you don't, for me, I didn't see like, how they fell in love, why they thought the other one was really attractive, why the other one was the one for them. And part of that is it did appear in some of the other books, but you didn't get, it wasn't a full-blown love story in the previous books. I would have liked a little bit more like romanticism, you know, (laughs) in the book. You are right. This isn't yeah. very romantic. No. I mean, it's very, it's very adventurous. It's very sexy. These are two characters who are really into each other's bodies, right? Which I never say no to. 
And there's a lot of excitement. Yes. In the books. There's a lot of stuff happening in this book. But there aren't very many quiet moments between the two of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're quiet, like, not just in terms of like alone, but in terms of like they're not dealing with some sort of crisis. They're able to just be together. Right. I mean, the are there only, any? I honestly, maybe when they're out walking on the moors. Okay. But that's like the only one. Yeah. So, so I think I really, really enjoyed this book, but I think you're right. To a degree, it's because I knew who these characters were. Right. I think it would be tough reading somewhere. Oh, Sarah McLean. I've heard her name before. I'd love to read her books. Oh, she has a new series. Let's start with the first one. I think you might be like, wait, what did I just get into here? That's fair. Um, so as I mentioned in my summary, and as we discussed a little bit previously, Cecily is bored, hasn't found a husband, and ends up somehow at Vauxhall Gardens getting solicited for this gang of women who have decided that men hold too much power and they're going to hold some of the d- douchebags accountable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's basically it. Yep. <laughs> gets, she gets recruited. And this book is two years after that point of recruitment. They've kind of got a sizable operation going to name and shame to a degree that the, the worst men in the aristocracy. Yeah. So what did you what did you think about the whole Hell's Bells vigilante group? I thought it was fun as hell. Mm-hmm. I think not knowing what it was, having no preconceived notions, especially after just how gritty Bare Knuckle Bastards was as a series, I was expecting something darker. Yeah, I think I was expecting something darker too, like actual criminals or something. Or even just like people actually willing to kill. Like <laughs> Right. Like secret spy agency, sort of a little more legitimized. I think it worked once I figured out what it was. I think I'll like it more the second time I read it. Yeah, yeah. Like I not did. waiting for the twist for it to get dark. It took me, I, it did take me a little bit of time to get into it. Like the, the first, I'm not going to reveal what exactly they did the first time. But, you know, Cecily is involved in this clandestine operation to bring down this terrible Earl. And what they did, I was like, oh, that's it? I was like, oh, okay. I guess that worked. Well, and even just how, like, Cloak and Dagger, her recruitment was. <laughs> yes. Like, I think, in hindsight, now I'm like, okay, it was all meant to kind of be funny. Yeah. Like, the fun of these rich, privileged women who have decided to do something with their free time that is actually yeah. productive. Right. And can help some people out. And they're playing up the like secretive nature of it. One, because their reputations are in jeopardy, but two, just because like it's fun yeah. to play up the secretive nature of it. So I think now that I know that's the point, I really like it. But I was yeah. like waiting for it to get serious and it never did. Yeah. I will say, despite what I how how not into it I sound, I am really ready to read the next books. The, so there's this blue stocking girl and you know she's going to end up with this duke and then there's the safe cracker like chemist lady who does explosions and you know she's going to end up with the detective inspector and I yeah, loved her 
Uh, I loved her. I love the fact that she's going to end up with the policeman. Like, I am ready to read those books. Yep. Also, and I, you can tell the Duchess's husband, like, that's a secret situation. Something's going to happen. I'm very excited to get the details. Like, I thought this was a really great first book setup. It was a great first book setup. Yes. Despite what we just said about how the the main couple was sort of a fait accompli. And I think that's what's, like, if I had to phrase if something was disappointing about this book, it's that this is a good setup to a fun concept. And Cecily and Caleb are characters I've been wanting to see get together forever. And I kind of wish it had been two different books. Yes. You just put it, yes, you like just verbalized something that I was like, I don't understand what was getting me about this book. And I think you got it. I think that's it. I didn't, Cecily and Caleb's book did not need the distraction of the bombs and the fun and all of that. I just wanted to watch them fall in love. Yes. So like I said, I think I'll like this one even more upon second reading when like I kind of shake those expectations. Yeah. But I kind of wonder what it would have done for this book to be the Duchess's or Imogen's or other mm-hmm. girl who's going to end up with the Duke. Adelaide. Wallflower. Yeah. Wallflower. Adelaide. Um, I, I, to have this book be that one and then have Cecily and Caleb be a later one in the series. Because I like the Cecily who took justice into her own hands in like a fun way to like unabashedly live her life. Right. So I don't wish she wasn't in Hell's Bells, but I feel like there was a lot of page time given to setting up that process, and I just wanted Cecily and Caleb. What would you have thought if Cecily and Caleb had been, like, background characters falling in love and never got their own book book? No. They're too young and hot. Okay. Just wondering. Background characters who don't get their own book book are for parents, guardians, and, like, ugly people. <laughs> I think there's there's only one series I can think of that really did it, like really well and we haven't read it but anyway I was just thinking about but yeah so I like I liked this and I liked a lot of its parts and I liked the book overall but I I don't necessarily know that I would have paired the couple and the setup together yeah I agree I I I had not thought that like actually thought that in my head but now that you said that I'm like yes I agree with you um, so Caleb, though, is a little bit of a whiny boy who won't talk about his problems, and it is uh, frustrating. So frustrating, Lane. I was really frustrated with Caleb, especially because Cecily is such a great character, and she's so open. She's doing her best to, like, communicate with him what she wants, what she needs. And Caleb is n- not doing that (laughs) right and he's even when there gets to a point where like all the information is on the table even though he didn't choose to express it to her which longtime listeners will know is a pet peeve of mine he still won't listen to her Mm -hmm. or treat everything like a partnership and i like this is where i kind of said this i think feeds my point from earlier I think it's because they really needed this book to be about how capable the Hell's Bells were. Right. And to a degree, Caleb had to be more of an independent loner who wouldn't talk to her and wouldn't cooperate with her. Because if they'd worked together, the Hell's Bells wouldn't have had to be involved in the same way. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're so right. I also, this is something that I've talked about 
with a couple of Sarah McLean's books, and it's that especially for such a uh, an unabashed feminist writer, like she's she, she's not shy about this. Is like this is these books are like feminist agenda, you know? Yes, which which I is love great, and I love. But for books that are like that, her heroines have to do the emotional heavy lifting for the heroes a lot. I, I look, I know that I am not an alpha loving romance reader. So maybe she's just writing these alpha men, you know, for all the women who love them. But I would just really like a guy who can, you know, take care of the woman for once. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even yeah. know if I'm, I'm expressing myself well, because saying that, like, anyway, I, I would have liked him to open up emotionally to her instead of her having to push and push and push until he finally gave in because he didn't have another choice. I mean, that's just always frustrating, right? Like we're always, our biggest complaint is always a lack of communication or misunderstanding or, you know, that genre of conflict. And Caleb is that. Yeah. The loner who doesn't want to open up, who feels like by opening up, he'll put everyone around him in jeopardy and he's going to be the martyr and die alone and never marry because his evil past were like the secrets of his past will die with him and he'll never put anyone else in danger. Yeah. And he's overreacting and he never really acknowledges it. Oh, I also want to mention, I'm just making up a new feature and it's called the Ash Alert because Ash is like the new historical romance name. It's like the Brayden of historical romance. Yeah. And I would just like to throw out there. She does have a nephew named Ash. Question. Is this the most attention offspring have ever gotten in a Sarah McLean book? Possibly. There's Georgiana's book. Yeah. Okay. I'm just wondering at what point she pulls a Stephanie Lawrence and we start getting the next generation. Oh, or Lisa yeah. Kipis and we start getting the next generation. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there were, there were, I mean, so many previous heroes and heroines showed up in this book. Yeah. Felicity was there. Mention of the home that was started mm-hmm. in the 10, whatever. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. Content warnings. Oh, um, so there is a lot of mention of sort of how hard it is to live a servant's life, including sexual abuse and other kinds of abuse inflicted mm-hmm. on servants by employers. It's treated seriously. It's not played for laughs. It's not super textual. Like, I think it's a pretty mild representation of it, but it's there. Yeah, it's there. I so I want to bring something up that was a little problematic for me, but maybe I'm overthinking it. I don't know. So the Duchess, who's one of the members of Hell's Bells, is super rich and she just uses her husband's money to do whatever she wants. And one of the things she does is she holds a, I believe, monthly ball for weekly. It's every Tuesday. Excuse me, a weekly ball for servants. And so the maids and the maid servants and the nannies and the uh, probably not the governesses, but all of the servants come and like have this really fun time at the ball. And there's this pot of money that if you need money, you can just 
take what you need from this pot. And she, they explicitly say there is no quid pro quo. So nothing is expected from if you need money, you take it, and then you're not expected to owe anything later. That said, in the same paragraph, she's like, yeah, and not only that, we get lots of gossip from these servants coming here. So I'm like, well, there is kind of a some kind of expectation then, right? I took it more as like all of the attendees weren't coming for the money. Uh-huh, they weren't right. getting the information from the people who took the money. It was more that the existence of this generous gesture that could be seen without entering is part of what made servants feel comfortable attending at all. Yeah. Like it wasn't a quid pro quo in the sense of like the people who take the money don't then have to pay and gossip and may never pay and gossip. But by being such a friend to the downtrodden and lower classes in such a public way, the Duchess was able to host these soirees and actually get attendance. Yeah, it just seemed more calculating than I think Sarah McLean wanted it to be. Right, like... Basically. She wanted it to be a, like, NBD, find a penny, keep a penny jar. Right. And, like, because they're talking about such significant sums of money, especially to the servants, and because there's this sense, too, that people can come in and request help otherwise, that it was a little bit more transactional is the wrong word but like monitored yeah and you know also these balls it's not like okay great i'm gonna have a a ball for people to come and have fun there was an expectation that the duchess was going to get some kind of profit or some kind of something out of it she wasn't just doing it again out of the goodness of her heart you know right and i think this is also where we kind of there's a lot of callbacks i feel like to georgiana's book in this one like, the Duchess trades in information she doesn't intend to use. Right. It's insurance. So what she's collecting from these servants' gossip is lines of inquiry to pursue that would potentially enable her to put another piece of paper in the file. It's not like you're giving me this thing. It's the lay of the land in London for my own preservation and potentially additional insurance for my behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And- I agree with you that it, it came off, I think, as a little less altruistic right. than it was meant to, but I didn't necessarily have a problem with it because I didn't view it as mercenary either. Yeah, I, I think I saw it as a more mercenary than you did. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Um, and I, I, did, I put this under content warning. I don't necessarily know if it appear it should be here, but I thought we could at least talk about it since we talked about it recently. Um, I would have put it under quality, not content warning, but I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. The, we called it the United Colors of Benetton trope. Yes. Um, and I want to say that Sarah McLean has been including more characters of color recently in her books, Mm -hmm. which I think is great. Uh, I just wanted to give you a chance to talk about it. Yeah, so I think what worked for me here in a way it hasn't in some of the other books we've read, one, the two prominent characters of color are not in positions of subservience. Mm -hmm. So one of them is a bar owner who came from Ireland or Scotland, 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 to build a bar specifically for women, specifically to help women and be a safe space for women. And she's the proprietor of her own establishment. Um, and she doesn't have a defined relationship with the heroines beyond like 
being their bar master, mm-hmm. their bartender, their like safe space. And the other prominent one is the third co-owner of Caleb and Sarah's bar. Mm-hmm. I would have liked a little more from him as a character, though I think this all being from Caleb's perspective and Caleb being so unwilling to get close to anyone, at least provide right. like a textual reason why he may not be that aware. Uh, his name is Fatu, right? Mm-hmm. Of Fatu and, and his background. But yeah, so I think it it definitely felt a little bit tokenized, but because it wasn't supposed to be a, like, none of the white characters had close personal friendships right. with the characters of color that, like, made the ignorance seem a little bit misplaced. Mm-hmm. And the fact that neither of the characters of color were in positions of service to the white characters, I think, made it stick out to me a little less. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I would say... I, I don't disagree about those two characters. There was another character is actually one of her sister's nannies. And she said, and she was a, a black woman. And I was like, okay, kind of like, not sure why we, that had to be included, whether anybody, but it, it did kind of stick out to me mostly because we had just had this conversation. Interesting. Okay. So, uh, so let's move on to sexiness. Was this book sexy? Um, I thought so. I would agree with you. I thought this book was extremely sexy. There's a lot of like her comfort adjacent, a lot of her bathing behind a screen and him like dying. I mean, the one that to me was the sexiest was when they were ha- they were infiltrating a house and they were hiding in a I believe it was a broom closet. Yeah, okay, so I just need to commend Sarah McLean in general for the number of times he goes down on her in this book. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That broom closet. Guys, there were two orgasms, both of hers, Uh none of his, Uh fully written out on the page in this scene. It wasn't like he came, she came, and then he said, oh, no, you're not done, and then fade to black. Oh, nope. no. He was like, uh-uh. oh, no, you're not done, and then it kept going. Uh-huh. And it was excellent. It was, I, I mean, in my opinion, the hottest scene in this book. Yeah, no, I'm not going to forget that. And th- this might, that scene might have added, like, a half star. <laughs> like, that scene alone was a full right. half star. I mean, it was very sexy. Yeah, I mean, there's like, there's so many things about it. So I mean, first of all, it's like what happens, but second of all, they're in hiding. They can't make a noise, and then you know, what if you get discovered? Just a lot of, and I mean, you would think that that would make it. You'd have to be fast. Nah, Caleb doesn't care. Caleb don't care. Oh, Mm-mm. he like goes to town. I just really enjoyed this book um, <laughs> during those scenes. During those scenes, yeah. And, like, the thing is, because of the legwork Sarah McLean did in the previous books, I bought their emotional connection 
So I was really down if he wasn't like the whole point. I think the reason their sex scenes were so hot, and this is going to contradict a lot of complaining I did earlier is like, they weren't really communicating or being honest with each other. And like the closest they came to emotional intimacy was the sex. And it was really good. And it's kind of like the sex was standing in for communication. And on the one hand, I hate that. But on the other hand, I don't hate that. It was like, it's so sinister-esque, isn't it? Yeah, but less crazy. But less crazy, yeah. But but still very sinister-esque as in, she'll know how I feel by the way I go down on her. You know? Yeah. Okay, they have sex in this, like, abandoned cottage, of course, which, Obviously. you know, they got caught in the rain, and they had to get out of the rain. Obviously. And I will never say no to that. For the record, what I love the most about this scene is it again starts with him going down on her. Mm-hmm. And she attempts to, like, initiate penetrative sex and an escalation and, like, involve his pleasure in the proceedings. And he attempts to stop her because he's like, for the record, this was not a quid pro quo. Yeah. It worked much better here. Oh, and- yes. It worked out a lot better there. And um, she's like, okay, but at this point, I've had, like, three to four orgasms. And you've had zero, and I would like to change that for you. And he resists, but not at all. But, but not, yeah. Um, also, perhaps, like, this is, she explicitly says, like, I don't want kids. Mm-hmm. Not like I'm trying not to get pregnant right now, not like we're taking questions. She's like, no, 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 I straight up don't want kids. And he's like, do you need me to be on top of this? And she's like, no, I already am. She fucking loved. And he was like, Cool, but she was just like, just letting you know. Like, I'm already on it. <laughs> I'm already on it. <laughs> and it was just like, it was so, I mean, I, I was so nice to see a conversation about protection and safe sex that wasn't angsty in and of itself, especially where like potential procreation was concerned. Like, right. I wasn't worried that this was going to be a story about birth control failing. No. It didn't feel like it was just thrown in to, like, potentially be a plot point. It felt like it was thrown in because, like, it was supposed to telegraph what a modern woman Cecily was. Yeah. And I much prefer that to, is there gonna be a baby? Yeah. So, that said, they do... Well, they don't have a fight after that because he just runs away. Right. So, um, during that very intense scene... All he does is own up to, like, fuck you, of course I have feelings for you. Yeah. Like, you tell what I've been trying to do is avoid you, not out of, like, hate, but out of love. Right. But he doesn't actually come clean about who he is or what's going on with his situation. So that was frustrating, but I preferred it to a fight. (laughs) (laughs) So you prefer abandonment to fighting, huh? He showed up three days later. It wasn't, like, forever. It was going to be forever, but then it, it wasn't was. forever. Wow, Look, yeah. it, there was a lot that I could criticize, but literally every time they started going at it from that point forward, I was like, okay. Okay. And then I just want to point out that the phrase thick thighs was used in this book. This phrase was not used in conjunction with Cecily. We're talking about Caleb's thighs here. We are. We're talking about phrases like thick thighs between her legs, yep. you know, things like that. Or around her, mm-hmm. or lifting her. Mm-hmm. So, although there was no explicit gentleman Jackson, 
We can assume Caleb did not skip leg day. He did move some barrels around in the bar. Yeah, and I see some crates too, right? Yeah, he was clearly um, tormented by not having sex with her, so he had to move heavy things. Right, right. We just talked about this exercise to avoid erection, right? Yeah, this was pretty much that again. Mm -hmm. So um, I also thought some of the lines that he said to her were very good. Oh, yeah. In the sex scenes when he was talking about, like, how he'd alleviated his erections with not (laughs) exercise. With not exercise. (laughs) Yeah, I mean. Anyway, look, if this book has a redeeming factor, it doesn't need to be redeemed. It was good independently. But, like, the best part of the book was Cecily and Caleb having sex because I read this book for Cecily and Caleb. I cannot disagree with any of those words. Because I agree like with you. Five times. Mm-hmm. It's like at least four, right? At least. Yeah. So anyway, congratulations to her. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Now I'm like, okay, I guess I kind of understand why you don't want this guy to leave. That was, I don't understand why he wanted to leave. I understand I mean, why he was like, you didn't say. Yeah, yeah. No, you are, again, you are correct about this book, Lane. Thank you so much. If you guys are enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. And check us out around the internet, especially Instagram at Plotris or Goodreads slash Plotris. Thanks so much for listening.